Good to have you with us at uh, Celebration Church today. I want to uh, read to you from 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church. And verse 17 is what we're going to read. <clears throat> Pretty familiar portion of scripture. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. This morning I want to talk to you about what it means to walk free from the guilt and shame of your past. But before we want to do that, I want to establish the fact that there needs to be some guilt and shame to walk away from. We live in a culture today that never wants anybody to feel bad about anything. In fact, you want to tick somebody off, just say something that some particular group doesn't like and all the crazies come out. You can't say that. You might make somebody feel bad. And uh, we have kind of lost our minds a little bit. And what's sad about it is not only is our secular culture caught up into it, but our contemporary Christian culture seems to be caught up in it as well. As I travel all over the world speaking in churches, I'm stunned at how much I hear this mantra over and over again. Nobody should feel bad about anything. We don't want anyone to experience guilt or shame. We don't want anyone to feel guilt or or shame. But that is not Christianity, that is psychosis. <clears throat> it's craziness. The reality is the definition of a psychopath or a sociopath is a person who never feels guilt or shame. These are people who walk into schools, shoot people, and feel nothing. They're crazy people. And our goal today is to run around making sure everybody feels no guilt or shame. What kind of version of Christianity is that? So we don't want you to feel condemned. Well, there's a difference between feeling condemned and convicted. Conviction shows you your sin that you should feel bad for. And then there's redemption. Condem condemnation means you're dead in the water and nothing can be done for you. No one's advocating that, but this idea that no one should feel bad about anything. Is it any wonder we have millions of people today who claim to be Christians who do all kinds of disgusting stuff and never feel bad about anything? Because our pastor says, should never feel guilt. Should never feel guilt or shame. Well, how about you quit sinning? How about you do that? No. They want to send their little brains out and don't feel bad about it. And it's insanity. I can't tell you the number of times I've been at churches speaking. And then after I get up, and I've been known to be a little in people's faces. And the first words out of the pastor's house, he'll get up as soon as I'm done preaching. Now, we don't want anybody to feel bad. I'm thinking, yeah, I, I do. That's why I said that. You know? What the heck? What is this fear of making people feel bad? Here's a shocker. If you do something bad, you ought to feel bad. Our goal is to create disciples of Christ, not a bunch of psychopaths who run around who never feel guilt or shame for anything. If you are a lying, cheating piece of caca, you should feel like caca. I think it's healthy for you. Good Lord, this insanity of never feeling bad about anything. Really? This is our goal? No one should feel bad? I was reading from a website last night, and uh, it's called realtruth.org. They were writing about this problem of the removal of all guilt and shame now. 
Again, it's the very thing I hear preachers talking about. Especially these feel-good preachers on TV. You know, God loves you just the way you are. That is not true. God loves you despite the way you are. There's a big honking difference. Just the way you are means you don't got to change. I got news for you. You need to change. We all need to change. He loves us. No one's arguing that. But this insanity, don't feel bad about anything. It's just craziness. The Rock read in this article. It reads, evening comes the parking lot of an out-of-the-way restaurant infamous for adulterous rendezvous. Surrounded by floodlights and a television crew, a husband lunges at his wife and threatens to harm her as she cowers behind the TV host of the reality show. And the host asks, why are you cheating on your wife? The husband apparently feels no shame, no sense of guilt or remorse, only indignation over being caught and on camera. He blames his wife for not understanding. <laughs> I have a funny feeling the redhead would not understand. <laughs> not understanding. You know I always come home to you, he says. We read about the nursing home where loved ones rarely visit, and the caregivers taunt, slap, shake, push, punch, beat, and spit on elderly residents suffering from Alzheimer's disease and dementia. And these caregivers apparently feel no sense of guilt or shame. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Teachers convinced they've fallen in love prey upon students for sexual encounters, stealing their innocence, in effect sentencing young minds to a lifetime of mental and emotional anguish. And you listen to these people on TV and they feel no sense of guilt or shame. We didn't do anything wrong. We were in love. The Wall Street con artist who swindles family, friends, and colleagues out of untold millions of dollars, destroying them financially. And we watch in amazement as the guy's in court and he exhibits no sense of remorse at all. Because he doesn't feel any guilt or shame. We have teens and preteens who seeing nothing wrong today about sexting, you know, sending risque, even nude digital images of themselves to their peers. It's going to be out there forever. They feel no guilt or shame. We read about the paranoid and delusional dictator strikes fear in the international communities. He test fires a costly state-of-the-art weapon. The price which could have fed millions of his starving citizens and prevented needless deaths. But he doesn't care. Feels no guilt. No shame. Who was this psycho Korean guy? Chung Yong Il Hing or whatever his name is. He, did you read this recently? He sentenced his uncle to death. They're talking about not getting along with the family. But did you read how he killed him? You know, a week later, he fed him to dogs, live, and stood there and watched him, laughing. 
These are psychopaths. They feel no guilt, no shame. Is this our call as Christians, people of Christ, to go and have everybody, nobody feel bad about stuff? For heaven's sakes, if you do something, you should feel bad. If you do something bad, that is. Not something. <laughs> Make sure I get that straight. Now, having said all of that, this message is about walking free from your guilt and your shame. But I believe there needs to be something to walk free from. Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 7, says this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance to the riches of God's grace. This is what he's talking about when he says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. What I want to talk about is the struggle that so many people have that they constantly are wrestling with their past. And their past is always sucking the life out of them. The guilt of what they did back here. The decisions they made back here. I shouldn't have married this idiot. I should have married the other idiot. You know, something haunting them. And they can never move forward. And they're constantly being drugged down in the tar pit of despair. <coughs> Because they're constantly, and they don't realize that in Christ, the good news is now you can be free from all of that. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last because of the blood of Jesus Christ that washes me from sin. And, and here's the thing. You can't fix it. By thinking about it and pondering it and trying to understand it does nothing but bring depression on you. I promise you, the more you do that, the more awful you will feel, the harder it will be able to breathe, the tougher it will be to get out of bed. Pretty soon you'll need to be medicated. Not that everybody who's medicated has that problem, but I promise you, you start living over and over again. Oh, the past and what I did back here, and I wish I had Stop it. You can't fix it. It's not fixable. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to wipe it away. We have been forgiven. What does that look like? Psalm 103, verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And then he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now they have a north pole and they have a south pole, but there's no such thing as an east or a west pole. It never ends. He takes your sins and he separates you from them. They're no longer connected to you when you come to Christ and turn your life over to him. So, well, Pastor, I understand it, but even as a Christian, I've made mistakes. This is true even for Christians. 1 John says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Anyone who says they never sin is delusional. People have struggles. We all have struggles with sin. The good news is if we will confess our sins. See, the bad thing is when people don't consider the sins because they no longer feel any guilt or shame. It's like in the Christian, in many evangelical worlds, it's like we don't want people to feel bad about it. So they don't talk about sin. 
They don't really preach the Bible. What they preach is how, you know, God wants you to feel good and how you can get lots of stuff and how Jesus wants you to be a millionaire and, and, or whatever their deal is, you know? And, and the idea of actually talking about what's right and wrong, God forbid we talk about that because someone might feel bad because that's the worst possible thing that could happen. But the Bible says that godly sorrow brings repentance. It's what draws us to God. Kind of hard to have godly sorrow when we don't want anybody to be bad, feel bad about anything. I even had a friend here in the pulpit, you know, a year and a half ago, good friend, I love him, but he'd be preaching all of a sudden, he said, I don't want anybody to feel bad. I'm thinking, why? If you do bad things, you should feel bad. It's called a conscience. It makes you human. It makes you alive. As a Christian, you should be sensitive to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. So when God comes and he speaks to you and says, ah, 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 and you go, oh, I shouldn't do that. I'm sorry. God, I, I ask you to forgive me of that. But then now we walk free from it. But we have to turn from sin. To say there is no sin is deceptive. And I think by people who want to push there's no guilt or shame is what they're trying to say. Well, there's really no sin. I've heard preachers say this on TV. You know, the cross covers everything. There is no sin anymore. Really? The cross covers sin, but don't say there is no sin because then people, they love this message because they can do anything they want. They can lie, cheat, steal, fornicate, do anything. Nobody feels bad about anything anymore. I love Jesus. Ha, 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 ha. Dear God, help us. He came to forgive us, to remove us from our sins, and according to 1 Corinthians 5, to make everything new. Now, this is what is signified in baptism. Okay, we read in Romans, the sixth chapter, verse three. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Yes, Paul, they don't know. That's what he says, don't they know? He knows they don't know. That's why he's saying it. He says, you should know it. That's why he's saying it that way. Don't you know? No, they don't know. Most people are clueless. The whole idea about baptism is being symbolized about coming to God, asking for forgiveness, and we are, as he goes on, he says, we are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That is a symbolism. You're coming through. Something miraculous happens in this baptismal thing. You pull out of that water. You are now a new person. That old stuff is dead and gone. Now, I'm not looking for arguments. (laughs) And I'm not trying to mess with your heads, but I'm going to teach you the Bible. I don't care who it separates me from or associates me with. I made that decision a long time. I know a lot of y'all. Oh, y'all. <laughs> a lot of y'all came from very traditional mainline churches that baptize babies. Most of you in this room were baptized as a baby. But, and, and I understand... You know, you think, okay, I've been bad. But the truth of the matter, see, in, in churches like ours, we don't baptize babies. Why? Because they don't do it in the Bible. No place in the Bible was there ever, a, there was never even a child baptized, much less a baby. Everyone who's baptized in the Bible was baptized as an adult. It is an adult decision. When you say, I am turning from my sins, I am turning to God, I'm putting my trust and hope in Him, and all things pass away and everything becomes new. That is what that is for. Now, again, Jesus was 30 years old when he was baptized. He wasn't baptized as a baby. None of them, nobody, zilch, zip, nada, were ever baptized. But that didn't happen until hundreds of years later in Christianity because they were concerned about 
what happens to babies when they die early. Now, Paul wrote about this. He says that your faith covers your children. There's nothing to worry about. But they got away from that, and they went, yeah, and there was so much death. You know, we're talking, you're starting to get into the dark ages and stuff. People were dying from all kinds of crazy stuff. Even during the early church days, they had, death was very common. That's why one of the main things in the church, when you read the New Testament, is what to do with widows. Because apparently a lot of guys killed over early. <laughs> I'm glad I live today, you know. But, uh, and there were young widows. Hey, what do you do with the young widows? How many of us even know widows today? I mean, it's, you know, we're blessed. We have much longer lives. But babies, too. I mean, you'd get the flu, you'd die back in those days. Thank God we have the medicine and stuff that we have today. Although, you want to always keep your trust in God. Medicine won't always pull your bacon out of the frying pan. Somebody say Amen. I mean, thank God for the doctors, but at the end of the day, my hope isn't in Dr. Yuzi Yuzi. It's in Jesus, Amen. you know, because there's nasty stuff out there, stuff they don't have answers for. Thank God none of the stuff has spread like crazy. Do you know, by the way, just throw this out because I'm talking, I get to. Uh, <laughs> do you know one of the biggest plagues, if you will, that has happened in recent history happened in 1918? If you go and Google the, the, the flu of 1918, Millions of people all over the world died from this flu. I mean, millions. We've never had anything like that since. And I mean, it was, you, got, you can take pictures. They have pictures of people like downtown Chicago, New York, San Francisco. They're all wearing masks. Everybody's wearing masks. They were scared to death. People were dying and dropping like flies. You'd get the flu in the morning, and by the next day, you had drowned in the fluid in your chest. There was nothing. There was nothing they could do. And do you know they never found a cure? It just stopped, and they don't know why it stopped. To this day, they are studying this flu, the Centers of Disease Control. And they freak. They think it's very close to what they call the bird flu. Whenever you hear them freaking about certain types of flus and stuff, they are just the reason. <laughs> and we're all going, what's the big deal? It's just the flu. Because apparently there's a version of flu out there that is really nasty. And they don't have an answer for it. Thank God. I pray it never comes back. Certainly, I don't want to be around when it does. But uh, man, I'll tell you, at the end of the day, you still want to put your trust in God. But thank God for medicine. Thank God for doctors. Because back in this day, everybody was keeling over from all kinds of stuff. And children would die early. That was the thing. So they decided the best thing to protect them was to baptize them. Blah, de stinking blah. The bottom line is, it's really something that should be done as an adult. If you have come to Christ as an adult and said, I am going to start serving God, I'm turning away from my past, I want to put, you need to be baptized. If you haven't been baptized, you need to go talk to your campus pastor. <laughs> and some of y'all be coming here a long time. And Stephen's point, you rascals, we were there last year, 10-year anniversary, half the church was getting baptized. Never been baptized before. Uh, you guys have never been baptized? Nope. Apparently, I don't talk about this very often, okay? <laughs> Well, once every 10 years or so, I guess I should bring it up. But you really should, if you come to Christ in faith, you need to get baptized and have this wonderful blessing and, and, and really signify this thing that you are buried and now you come out. That past you is dead. You need to understand it's dead, dead and gone. Your sins, your guilt, your past is no longer associated with you. Oh, there's practical stuff that you still got to deal with because of some decisions. But as far as God is concerned, as far as the east is from the west, it is not connected to you anymore. We are indeed free. 
We walk. The Bible says now, because of this, we can now walk in newness of life. You walk. We can now walk in this new thing. Now, some people are good at it. They just skip along. They're just happy as they can be. Other of us, we got a walker. We can barely make it as we're going, you know. But you need to intentionally. But a lot of people, they don't walk. They spend all their time doing this. And you got to wonder, you know, Jesus warned. He said, anybody who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of heaven. Don't be doing that. People constantly just, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I, I, wish I could fix that. And I, I don't know why I did that. It's, stop. You can't fix it. It's not fixable. That is why Jesus died. To cover that which there was no solution for. So I prayed, prayed, Father, is there any way let this cup be passed for me? There was no other way. And that's why he suffered and died. The good news is that we can walk in newness of life, but you do this intentionally. Paul had to be very intentional about walking forward and not looking back. He writes about this. Now, Paul's an interesting character. As far as a righteous, holy man of God. He was virtually blameless, he said. He was raised in the Jewish faith and never broke any of the rules, which is stunning because they got a gazillion of them. He never broke a one. But yet at the same time, he was a rascal because he was the guy who was persecuting the early Christians. He'd have people killed, imprisoned, made their lives miserable. He felt terrible about it. He writes later, he says, man, I'm the worst of sinners. Look what I did. And as awful as some of y'all sitting here are, <laughs> I don't think any of you killed anybody. I said, I don't think you did. I don't want to know. But it'd be harder to hug you later. But, but you know, here's a guy who killed people. He's writing most of the New Testament. See, how is that possible? Because God separated him from that stuff. He was now new. He writes in Philippians, the third chapter, it says, not that I've already obtained all of this, sorry, this righteousness, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He says, I still haven't gotten there. Can anybody relate to that? Anybody still struggling with stuff? I still have issues. <laughs> as hard as that is to imagine. I, I, don't say anything, Debbie. I have issues. There's things that I still struggle with and it makes me crazy and I feel bad. Thank God because I'm listening to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and I turn from my ass. God to forgive me and I move on, but I still have issues. Paul, even Paul said, I, I still got issues. Holy cow, he got issues. What hope is there for us? Well, there's hope because in Christ, old things pass and all things become new. He says, there's one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. It is an intentional thing you have to do. I am forgetting. Say, well, I can't forget. Well, it's not about, it's just, it's stop. You quit looking back. You quit bringing it up. Quit living back there. Don't, I'm telling you, it will suck the life out of you. You will live your life in fear and in tears and in depression if you constantly are trying to rehearse your past and how could have I done it differently. Again, you cannot fix it. It is unfixable. Thank God he forgives us. You say, but pastor, why would he forgive us? I don't know. 
I really don't. I told Randy as I was driving over here, I said, if I were God, I'd kill us all. <laughs> and I'd start with me. Because I have issues. But it's somehow he loves us and he's willing to take all the garbage you have done and the mean, nasty, and the horrible decisions you have made and separate you from that. Wow! That is amazing. And now we walk free from guilt and shame. Not because there was no sin, but because of in the midst of our sin, despite of our sin, when we confess it, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins. Revelation is the 21st chapter. It's the last book in the Bible. And he's talking about, you know, the end times and all the nasty stuff that's still coming. I hope I'm gone before it shows up. But Finally... It all comes to an end. Judgment day has come and passed. And then he starts talking about what heaven's going to be like. Verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Do you know why it had passed away? Global warming. <laughs> it's true. It's true. The Bible says after judgment day, God's going to take a match and light this whole earth on fire and it's going to burn up and incinerate. So yes, global warming is coming. And ain't nothing Al Gore can do about it. I'm telling you right now. So the first earth had passed away and he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Hallelujah. You know, people say, sometimes you talk to non-Christians and say, well, I just think heaven's here on earth. Really sucks to be you. <laughs> because here there is crying and pain. And all this, but when we get there, there will be no more of that. Why? Because it's for the old order of things has passed away. Then he who was seated on the throne, referring to Jesus, said, I am making everything new. That's what he does. He does. And the beauty is we can be part of that. How and why? Oh, I know how. It's through the blood of Jesus. Why? I'll never understand. As for all of heaven, we're all going to be going, why are we here? Because <laughs> I had issues. <laughs> but because he makes everything new. So, Pastor, that's talking about heaven. Well, you just prayed a prayer. He says, Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in. And in heaven, there is no guilt. There is no fear. There is no shame. For the old has passed away and the new has come. And that is what we celebrate as believers. <laughs> Hallelujah. The fundamental message of Christianity is this. If we will put our faith in him. He forgives our past, makes everything new. He removes our sin. The answer is not to delude ourselves into thinking there is no right or wrong in an effort not to make people feel bad. That is absurd. That is insane. That is psychosis. 
But if we are willing to confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to make everything new. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I can only speak it. Your Holy Spirit has to make it real in people's hearts. And I pray for people who are listening to my words right now, that they would begin to understand the glorious message of Christianity, that in Christ, everything becomes new. Help us not to live in a delusional world where we think there is no sin. There's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. God, help people to see when they do wrong that it is wrong. And help us to be willing to turn from that and come to you and allow you to make all things new. For this is what we pray for, for your glory and the advancement of your kingdom in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.